Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Where we're at, just to review, is we've been talking about uh, ideas about God, fancy Latinate word theology, Jewish theologies. We're starting with the Bible. We're nearing the, the Tanakh. We're nearing the end of that. And we started last week talking about uh, the individual's individual relationship with God as articulated in various Psalms in the book of Tehillim, in the book of Psalms. We looked at two Psalms last time. I'm going to very quickly review what we looked at. I have four more I want to look at. I think instead of asking for comments and thoughts after each one, I want to zip through all four because I want to finish the material today, and then we'll pause to reflect and share thoughts and comments. I hope that's okay. So let me see about screen sharing. Okay. Before I share, I'm going to, I'm going to come back in a minute. I'm going to come back in a moment. Uh, I will share in a moment. I just have to. Uh, I cannot minimize the Zoom. Okay. Just hold on. I know, I know what I'm doing. I just want to, um, make sure. All right. I can't do what I want to do. Doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, share screen. Here we are. I'm sharing the screen. Okay. This is what we looked at last time. It's the same thing that's in the, um, uh, in the handout uh, attached to the podcast last time. And uh, I said I would do a little editing and I didn't. Okay. So we looked at Psalm, by the way, I've arranged these Psalms in sort of a sequence from most despairing to most uplifting in the relationship. Um, they're taken from different places in Sefer Tehillim. So the first one we looked at, Psalm 22, the one that's probably least familiar to most people, um, which I think expresses one of the most uh, poignant senses of the individual being abandoned by God. Psalm 22. Hashem, Eli, Eli, Lama Azaftani, you, I am crying out and you are not hearing me. So we have here a clear individual relationship of the individual, the psalmist, the poet, David Hamelech, us reciting the psalm, whoever you want to say it is, um, and saying to God, from my birth, I have flung myself upon your mercies. You're my God. Don't be so far off. No one is answering me. You seem very far away. And then we end up with some positive, but God, you're the God of everything. Um, and, uh, but I, but I, but I, 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 and, and I will praise you in the great congregation. Um, when I am saved, but I want to point out, it does not say here, um, because Larry brought this up last time, Psalms that have a change of mood. We don't really see the individual change, the individual's change of mood in Psalm 22. We don't see him saying, now I know that I am saved. It really starts with bleakness and desperation, and then it goes on to desperation. That's Psalm 22. We looked at that last week. Psalm 130, the Shir HaMalot, which is familiar to us because it's the psalm we say on high holidays before Yishtabach, also sometimes other times of trouble when Jewish congregations are saying, Shira Malot. All right, this is, I call out to you. 
I know that you're forgiving. I hope for you. I long for you. Um, not quite a sense of abandonment and bleakness as in um, the previous psalm. Now we're going to go on to the new material. Psalm 6, which is familiar to you because it's the psalm that we say during Tachnun, right? Um, and we pointed out last week because Alan had a had one of the conservative Sidurs in front of him that um, Psalm 130, which we did last week here, that's your Amalot, is added in our, in some editions of the conservative Sidur as an alternative to Psalm 6. The traditional Ashkenazi Psalm in Tachnon is Psalm 6. Adonai al yasreni. Hashem, do not punish me in your anger and do not chastise me in your fury. In other words, at this moment, the psalmist is suffering. Again, something. In this psalm, it's really not entirely clear. Um, maybe illness, but that's not entirely clear. As we've said before, psalms have various metaphors for the suffering. Concrete metaphors. Sometimes it's illness. Sometimes it's enemies are seeking around to arrest, surrounding me to destroy me. Sometimes I'm drowning. Um, Sometimes I'm stuck in, in the muck and I can't get out, sort of like quicksand. Um, I, I have to say, I, I, I hesitate to say this in a public forum, but when I read these Psalms lately, uh, um, I think of tunnels. That's what I think of people in tunnels. Um, so I feel like I'm being punished, meaning something bad is happening to me. The inference is, God, you must be really angry. Okay. This is where the hint, uh, the, the, we have the hint of the metaphor of illness. Have mercy on me, Hashem, for I languish, umlal. It sort of means I feel pathetic. I am pathetic. Heal me, God, for my bones tremble. I tremble a lot. Please release me. Again, I just want to point out all of this is sing, and this is my point, point that I'm making out of all this. It's singular to singular. It's my relationship with God. Sometimes we mention the collective. Israel talks about all of the great deeds that you did. Or when I am saved, um, then I will go to the temple with a big crowd around and offer sacrifices and tell of your good deeds to all the assembled people. So um, there is in all these psalms some mention of the collective, but the emotional thrust is me and you, God. It's a quote from an old Bill Cosby routine. You and me, God, you and me, right? About the flood, Noah and the flood, if people are old enough to remember that routine. Oh, yeah. Um, you and um, me, God. You tread water. Right. Okay. So um, I don't want humorous relief. Sorry. Okay. So I am trembling. I am suffering. I am sick. God, have some mercy. Stop punishing me. Now, we can argue, we moderns surely will argue, about is this really our theology that illness or travail comes from God as a punishment? So we would surely argue about that, many of us, maybe even most of us. Um and we'll we'll get to that at some other point in this sequence of theology. I promise. Does suffering come from God or not? 
We're not going to get to that today. This is the psalmist's assumption. And he says, um, I, I wear myself out with groaning all night long. I, I love it. It's, I melt my bed with tears. I think we would say in English, I cried in my, I sobbed in my pillow all night. Right. Um, and I'm so tired out from my crying. I'm worn out from warning from, from crying. And then we have the evildoers in this psalm. There's evildoers who are surrounding me. They're basically really happy that I am suffering. Um, there's a whole line of inquiry about who are, you know, evildoers are frequently mentioned in the Psalms. Who are they? The traditional Jewish interpretation, since Psalms were written by King David, according to the traditional view, these are King David's enemies. It could be Saul or other nations or various other figures. Um, uh, and this goes all the way to some moderns who think this is, who just make this metaphoric. Some of them even say, some of the modern commentators say, you know, evildoers is my own internal uh, doubts and weaknesses. Okay, so evildoers can be interpreted in lots of different ways. I don't want to get into that today because we don't have time for that. But the individual is suffering. And he says, Shema Adonai Trinati Adonai Tfilati Yikach. Hashem, hear my plea. God, by the way, our translator translates to filati yikach as accepts my prayer. God accepts my prayer. Yikach as a future. Um, that's possible. Another grammatical possibility, which gives it a sense of certainty. God does accept my prayer, will accept my prayer. Um, another grammatical possibility is let God accept my prayer. So it's not a sense of certainty. Hashem hear my cry, let God accept my prayer, that it ends not with a note of certainty. Okay, Psalm 121, another of the Shir Hamalots. This is one that is commonly said at times of trouble. Um, you're probably aware there are lots of shuls where they are not. Uh, our shul is singing Hatikva currently. After service, there's a lot of shuls that don't sing Hatikva, but do the sort of traditional thing that uh, congregations do in times of um, communal suffering, which is they say shir, one or more of the shir hamalots. This is probably the most common one that's used in the Jewish world in times of trouble. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains, right? S-A-N-I-L. Who wrote that melody? Alan. Shlomo Karbach. Shlomo Karbach. It's, that melody is so far back in the mists of time for most of us that we assume it's like way back there. It was actually written by Shlomo Karl very early on, the 60s, I think. It's on a 60s album. Um, so I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where will my help come from? My help will come from God. Okay? So we have here, I am alone. I need trouble. Who's going to help me save me? And then we do have some sense of certainty. Okay? I know where my help is coming from. It's coming from God. Um and then we have a next sentence, which I didn't bold out. Someone is saying, a third person is saying to the sufferer, don't worry. God will not let your foot stumble. Could God never sleeps. And he's Shomer Israel, God, the keeper of Israel, the protector of Israel. We now have a, a group epithet, God, the protector of Israel, never sleeps and will, and, and will not let your foot stumble. Okay. 
And then we have near the end, um, again, third person reassuring the psalmist. Adonai yishmor chamikol ra nafshecha. Hashem will protect you from all evil and will save your life, protect your life. Hashem will protect your going and coming, meaning all of your back and forth forever. So here we have another voice interjected into the psalm. We have the psalmist saying, ah, oi, oi, where am I going to get help from? And then we have a third person saying, do not worry, do not worry. Hashem will protect you from everything because God never sleeps. The implication, of course, is that God, again, not all these psalms make the whole story explicit. Right. So it doesn't make explicit what's implicit. It's just God actually does hear your cry. God does care. And that, uh, so those things are elided. They're not mentioned specifically, but Hashem will protect you. So we have a third person reassuring the psalmist. Psalm 30, which we know, because this is the psalm we say before Baruch Sha'amar, also there are some traditions in some liturgical traditions. Um, there are special psalms that we say on holidays. The Jewish group that goes the most wild with this is um, Hasidim Chabad in our world. Um, they have psalms for like, you know, every day of Pesach and every day of Sukkot, special psalms that you add. But this is the psalm that is added when? What holiday? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Right. Which gives us the oddity of saying the same psalm twice in one service. Right. So Baruch Shamar. This one is a kind of um articulates the theme that La- the idea that Larry brought up last time which is that sometimes psalms have these changes of emotion by the way the last psalm we looked at has a change of emotion right the person is saying where is my help from and then the third person is saying don't worry don't worry it'll be okay god protects you god is not sleeping god hears you so we had a change of mood in that last psalm, the Shiramalo, it's from different people. Here we have a change of mood within the one person. And Rav Shai Held, uh, who teaches at Hadar, Yeshiva Hadar, when he teaches psalms, he says, well, this change of mood happens because this reflects the human experience. Okay? Sometimes you feel like you're in desperate straits. Nothing's going to save me. All right? I'm sunk. But then you have a moment of saying, I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay. So Rav Shai says that Psalms have these abrupt changes of mood sometimes, which we're going to look at in a moment in Psalm 30, because this is the human experience. The human experience when we're suffering isn't all frequently isn't all bleak or all sense of security. It is frequently shifting. Okay, so we start out with, I praise you, God, because you lifted me up. You did not allow my enemies to rejoice. I cried out to you, Vatir Pa'eni, and you healed me. Sense of security. Thank you, God. You lifted up my life from Sha'ol, from the underworld. Great. God, you saved me. But then we have, and, and Psalms are sometimes confusing in terms of tense. When is this happening? So we have another passage in this psalm where the psalmist says, and I, I think this, I think this means, here's what I think this means. I think it means, I used to think, Bishalvi, when everything was good with me, when I was untroubled, 
you know, I had a big car and a lot of money in the bank, great job, and everything was going great. I used to think, Bal emot le'olam, I shall never be shaken. Life is good. It's always going to be this way for me. I used to have a sense of security when everything was good. And I thought everything would be great forever. But at some point, I'm, I'm inserting at some point. I'm going to leave that out. I'm just going to read the next line. Hashem, when you were willing, you set me up like a strong mountain. But when you hide your face from me, I am terrified. I call out to you, Hashem, and I plead before you. So we can, different teachers interpret this differently. It can be interpreted as, I thank you, God, because you picked me up. You know, let me tell you the whole sequence from the beginning, friends. Back in the beginning, I was secure and I had everything and I thought nothing can touch me. But then I realized, you know, God, all this is by your grace. And when you hide your face from me, I am terrified, meaning something that happened that caused me to experience that God was hiding God's face from me, which could imply, but I lost it all or something awful happened to me. I called out to you and I pleaded and I said, uh, hey, God, you don't want me to die because if I die, I can't praise you. Shema Adonai v'choneni, Adonai heye ozerli. This is command form, imperative. I want to stress the sense of closeness that the psalmist has with God in relationship. The, the sense of closeness is so strong that the psalmist can talk to God in the imperative. This is not God. Please, 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 would you save me? This is God. Save me. Help me. The psalmist feels connected enough to God to make, uh, you can call it a plea. It's, it's, it's like a demand. The plea, which is a demand. Okay. And again, tenses. Does it mean you turned my lament into dancing? You opened my sackcloth and, and girded me in joy or, you know, cause that's a very abrupt shift, shift, right? I call out to you, God. I plead before you. You don't want me to die. Listen to my pleading. You turned my sackcloth into, into dancing. Very abrupt. So is something missing in the story? Like, I, God, hear my plea. I'm so certain that I, God hears my plea that I then say, you turned my sadness into rejoicing. Or is, is I, am I saying, look, in the past, when I was suffering, I know you turned my mourning into rejoicing. So I know you can do it again. Or, does hafachta not mean the simple past that does somehow mean you are the God who in a moment can turn uh sadness into dancing? And there's all kinds of arguments about biblical grammar, about what these tenses mean. So I don't have a firm answer. Okay. And what's the purpose of all this? So that laman yizamercha chavod v'loidom, so that myself could praise you forever and not be silent. Hashem, I will praise you forever. By the way, here it does not end with among the crowd of people in the temple. It's still you and me, God. You, you and me, Lord. You and me. Okay? So in this psalm, we have changes of mood. The tenses are hard to follow. We don't have to find, we don't need to have a final answer or understanding today at this moment. I just want to tell you 
it, it may be intentionally ambiguous about what happened when I'm secure now. I remember uh, I'm, I'm saved now. I remember when things were good and I thought nothing could touch me, but then I lost it all because you hid my face from me. Um, and then I pleaded with you. And then once again, everything was good. Uh, maybe, but there, there are lots of ways of understanding these tenses. Another way of saying it is if I asked you to turn it into a narrative story about the psalmist, what happened first, what happened second, there are different ways of understanding the biblical grammar that could yield a different plot line or narrative. That's not what I'm focusing on right now. I want to focus on the sense of the individual's suffering and the individual speaking to God one-on-one. You hide your face from me. I am terrified with, if you support me, I am as firm as a mountain and I am calling and pleading before you, God, I need you now. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to end with Psalm 23, which is the Psalm that expresses this relationship one-on-one with God, the most securely. We don't have the, I was suffering and he saved me part of the story. Um, by the way, in America, yeah, some of you may know this, some of you may not know what I'm about to say. In America, Psalm 23 has gotten to be very intimately associated with funerals. In their traditional Jewish tradition, Psalm 23 has nothing to do with death liturgically and nothing to do with funerals. It's not recited at funerals. It's recited by Sephardim on Friday night and at Shabbos Mincha. It's a psalm of positivity, joy, and uh, I don't want to say joy. I'm going to take it back positivity and security, and it is not a psalm of death. In America, somehow, I assume, because I, I, I don't know the history, I assume Psalm 23 was associated with death in the Christian tradition, and then I assume we Jews adopted that. Um, but let's take a quick look at it. You all know the psalm. It's a sense of security. God is my shepherd, which means like I am a sheep. That's the metaphor. I'm totally dependent on the shepherd. The shepherd provides everything. God gets me into nice yummy, grassy pastures for me to have food to eat and and leads me to good waters, not rushing rivers where I might be carried away, but like, you know, nice calm waters that's easy to drink from. And God takes, uh, God revives my soul, myself. Imagine yourself if you're a sheep who is hungry and thirsty and you're brought to a great pasture where there's plenty of great grass to eat and nice, calm water to drink from. That's the nafshi yeshovev. Why did God do this? Is it because I deserve it? Is it because I called out to God? No, it is because of lama'an shemo. We talked about the theology of God's shame in the book of Deuteronomy. God's essence, God's reputation. Because this is how God is. Beneficent. So we have in this psalm, Again, on a personal level, that's the thrust of everything I'm teaching last week and this week. On a one-on-one level, this is not me and the whole flock of sheep. This is sheep number one of my concern, me, okay? Sheep X, we'll call it. I am sheep X, right? And why does God do this? Because sheep X deserves it? No, because God is beneficent. Gam kelech begeg tzalmavet. This is how we got to the valley of the shadow of death. There's... Scholars discuss this, and it probably is not the shadow of death. Sel, mavet, does mean shadow of death. The word is probably 
Salmut, which means darkest, darkest, darkest darkness. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'm not afraid. So we imagine the sheep or a human, you're out hiking, you go through a very narrow canyon, it's really dark, you can't see the sun, normally you'd be afraid, are we ever going to get out of here, where does this valley end, is the sun going to set, before we get out of here, we're not going to go where to go, that's how you might feel in that deepest, darkest valley, even when I walk through that darkest valley, I'm not afraid, why, because, again, we have the shepherd metaphor, because I am comforted, because of your staff and rod, right? Meaning you, God, are present as my shepherd. I know you're going to take care of me. I know it's going to be okay. Then we get to not sheep, but humans, because sheep don't have tables set as far as I know, right? Uh, you're going to set a table before me in front of my enemies or those who stare at me. Um, you will anoint me my head with good oil, which was the main cleansing agent and perfume in the ancient world, my cup runneth over, meaning everything I need, my physical needs, food, drink, physical self-care. God, I know you, I know you're going to take care of all of this. Goodness, uh, and loyalty, love will pursue me my whole life. Okay, this is so different than, I don't know, I wanted to look at some line above. I don't, I don't know what line I wanted to contrast that with. Um, so I won't scroll, right? But, um, I know I will get good stuff with God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which could either be concretely, what is the house of the Lord? It usually means the temple. It means perpetually I'll be able to go to the temple. Implication to say thank you to you maybe to praise you with great in front of great crowds and offer thanksgiving so that everyone knows what a great God you are. Or maybe it's more metaphoric, dwelling in God's house. Maybe it means I can lead a godly life or I can remain in relationship with God. So it can mean a variety of things. We're, we don't have to solve that today. Again, we're, we're raising lots of questions in the Psalms we're reading today. We don't need to answer those questions. Um, the point that I want to make is, again, the individual in relationship to God. And I want you, I, I went in a sequence here, because I want you to contrast this feeling, right? Um, we talked about feeling. Two, two, whatever, three, four weeks ago, whatever it was, we talked about God's feelings towards us, Israel, as described in the prophets. In the Psalms, we're talking about my feelings towards God, my relationship with God, what comes from me to God one-on-one. Sometimes it's, we started with Psalm 22, a sense of abandonment and desperation, bleakness. I feel alone. This is like the opposite of that. I feel so totally taken care of, so much so that even in the worst circumstances, Begate Salmut or Salmavet, even in the darkest valley, right? I am not afraid. And I know that things will turn out well, because you are, by the way, um, in that first psalm, we really have a sense of the psalmist experiencing God's absence. Why have you abandoned me? And here we have a strong articulation of the psalmist um, experiencing God's presence. Even in that valley, I am comforted by the presence of of your rod and staff, meaning by your presence as shepherd. Even in the bleakest time, 
I know that I am not alone and I'm not abandoned and that I will be taken care of. So I, 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 I brought these Psalms to give you a sense of the breadth of feelings that the psalmist or psalmists sometimes experience and articulate by putting into poetry all about their individual relationship with God. That does not mean that 150 psalms in the book of Psalms are about this. There are all kinds of psalms about all kinds of things. I have picked some selected ones, and I sort of wanted to go in some sequence from the most bleak to the most secure with some in between. I like Psalm 30 a lot, because it does has this kind of whiplash of moods. It was great. It was terrible. It's great. You know, I'm secure. I got nothing. I'm saved, if that's the sequence. Um, in Psalm 121, we had something different because there was a third person saying to the psalmist, do not worry, you will be okay. Um, Psalm 6, I, ha- I soaked my pillow all night long with tears. Please hear my cry. Um, I'm going backwards. Psalm 130, out of the depths, I am longing for you. Okay. And it doesn't say, I know that I'm saved. There's no individual. And then back to the beginning, Psalm 22, I'm going in reverse order. The most, um, I'm going to call it the most bereft sense of abandonment. Abandonment. There might be other Psalms in the book of Psalms that, that have that. This is the one I looked up because I, I knew, I didn't know what Psalm it was. I knew the phrase, Eli, Eli, Lama Asaftani, why have you abandoned me? And I looked it up in Google and that led me to Psalm 22. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing screen. I'm going to pause for, let's take a few minutes, questions, comments, thoughts. What do you get out of it? Paul, Alan? Yeah, um, I was particularly moved by what you said about Psalm 23 not being connected with the Jewish funeral and things like that. It was but. But I could see, I was thinking about when we were going through this, the language could really be appropriate. I'll be, Gamkir begates al Mavid, if it's the gates of death, it's going there, and you're talking about the soul, your soul will be with me, and and all these things, so connected, you say, yes, it gives comfort because I know I'm going to be okay, and even though we're going to walk through the the, the shadow of the death. Yeah, yeah, it's not a giant stretch, correct. By the way, traditionally we have a different psalm we say during funerals. It's Yoshev Vesetir El Yon. You may have noticed that, uh, uh, you know, traditional custom is when we actually take the coffin to the grave, um, the procession stops seven times. And during that procession, frequently the rabbi is mumbling a psalm. Um, and that psalm is, uh, it's also a psalm that we say Saturday night. It's a psalm that we say when we feel there are, it's a different psalm that we say when we feel we're in danger and there are evildoers around us and we're in danger of death. Um, that's why we say it's Saturday night, Motzei Shabbat, because we're going back, we're going from Shabbos out to the suffering of the week, right? And we're saying, oh God, please protect us from evil spirits and whatnot. It's a psalm. Yosheva uh, Sedra. I think it's Psalm 88 or 89. But what, what strikes me is at mm-hmm. many funerals, yeah, for in for Reform and Conservative services, yeah, it, Psalm 23 is almost uh, de rigueur. Correct, because it's America. But, but just so you know, they never do it in Israel. 
Um, maybe it's Psalm 90. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Psalm 91. If you want to take a look at it at home, this, the, the, the Psalm that is traditionally associated with Jewish funerals is Psalm 91. You can take a look at that at home and you can sort of see why it would be. It has to do with protect me from the evil spirits. We're in the cemetery. There's evil spirits around. Uh, protect me from evil spirits. Same thing with Motzei Shabbat. We're going into the week. We're leaving the Menucha of Shabbos to go out to the travail of the week. We're saying, Hashem, protect us from the stuff out there. Um, yeah, so, right. So you can say it fits with funerals. You could say it's lovely that we adopted the Christian custom. You could say whatever you want. The only point that I was making is in traditional Jewish liturgy, it has nothing to do with funerals. Other thoughts, comments about this series of Psalms. I made them into a sequence, right? They're not actually naturally sequenced, you know. They're humble jumble in the book of Psalms, right? I made them into a sequence because I wanted to show you. I didn't mean to see you, show you a time sequence. I just meant to show you a breadth of experience of the individual's relationship with God from, you know, the most bleak to the most secure and things in between. Thoughts? Comments, questions, jeez, you like it? Do you not like it? Should we vote in favor? Oppose? All in favor? All opposed? <laughs> okay. uh, I, I'll, I'll leave space for another few minutes for comments. But again, the point that I want to make, beating the dead horse, right, is that this, at least in the ancient world, ancient Jewish world, is our most profound, varied articulation of the individual's sense of her or his relationship to God one-on-one. Not mediated, it's not like the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, mediated by priests and Levites. It's not like Deuteronomy, I am commanding all Israel, you know, the Hayaim Shamoa, second paragraph of the Shema. If you guys do good, then you guys will get rain. And if you guys go astray, then you guys will not get rain. It's all kind of corporate and group. This is the deepest articulation in the Bible, these Psalms and many others. Uh, that may be the book of Job, right? Um, of the individual's one-on-one sense of relationship with God, very intimate, sometimes secure, sometimes desperate, sometimes feeling abandoned because um, that's how people feel in life sometimes. And in modern, we moderns are uncomfortable, many moderns are uncomfortable with the word God. So we say things like the universe, which is just some, you know, other metaphor that people use, right? Which in my mind means the same thing, meaning the array of giant forces out there that I do not fully understand and cannot control. And sometimes I'll feel like the universe is against me or in ancient parlance or in religious parlance, God must be punishing me for something. And of course, that's a risky theology because that can make people who have bad things happening to them feel like, oh, what did I do that I'm being punished? And, you know, uh, uh, Harold Kushner wrote a whole book about that that we'll talk about when we get to modern theologies. I don't know, months from now, but I, I hope in 2024, um, not 2020, right? But the psalmist feels an intimate relationship one-on-one with Hashem and talks to God privately. That's what Tachanun is for, by the way. Um, Tachanun is 
It is your time, each one of us as individual, to talk to God privately. Tachanun emerges out of a debate in the Talmud. Tachanun isn't mentioned in the Talmud. It's post-Talmudic. But emerges in a debate in the Talmud about should you say the same words every morning or should you say something new every morning? And the conclusion of the group mind halakhically is you should say the same words every morning. And then you should add your own individual words. And we talked about Elohai Neshama as being one of 11 examples of Rabbi so-and-so after he would finish his Amidah would say such and such. So either at the end of the Amidah and or for Tachanun, this is supposed to be your personal time to talk to God. One-on-one. One-on-one time. Amidah is you're supposed to say the words and everything is in the plural. Post-Amidah is this is your one-on-one time with Hashem. So I want to encourage people to think about um, how to use that time meaningfully. And does the liturgy as we do it serve your needs or not? That could mean adding something um, in Elohai Neshama at, or saying something instead of Elohai Neshama after Sim Shalom. Or it could mean... Not saying Psalm 6 or Psalm 130 as part of Tachanun, but saying whatever you want as part of Tachanun, whatever your suffering of the moment is and whatever it is you're asking for. But to consider these moments, these are staged, set aside, uh, liturgical moments that are meant to be for your one-on-one time. And I think conceptually, that is meant to be an echo of the poet's experience in Sefer Tehillim, right? The fact that we have those one-on-one times, the fact that the answer is, nope, if you say the same word of davening every morning and don't add anything different, your davening is not complete, which is the Gemara's, the Talmud's conclusion. I think that, that law, right, whatever you want to call it, um, is meant to keep alive, uh, I'll call it that, the spirit of the book of Psalms, that the individual talks to God one-on-one. Thanks for coming. Be Torah. Pray for peace. See ya. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.